you know, if, if I had a friend who I knew was this mentally anguished about how she felt about her food and her eating and her body, I would be so, like, sad for her and so compassionate. You know, I can think of a friend who struggles a bit, and she's a beautiful, intelligent, super funny, witty, lots of fun. I mean, she's an awesome person. And so she struggles a little bit with her weight and food and you know, there's no reason in the world why she shouldn't have a wonderful relationship and, and, ha and be proud of who she is, you know, but I don't say that to myself. Oh man, where do I start? Just this morning I was talking with a friend as we saw our girls off to school about how we're trying to raise our daughters to be strong, confident, and caring young women. And yet there's this list of ways that we ourselves struggle to feel confident and strong in. The ways that we doubt ourselves, the things that we're still working on. And while life is a constant struggle, the one thing that we don't need to add is being so damn hard on ourselves. Can I get an amen here, my friends? I mean, really, I would never say the things to a friend that I say to myself, never. So yeah. I'm still working on it, and it's a tough road to travel. What makes the road to kindness even harder to travel? Hmm, well, lots of us have layers of stuff that we aren't dealing with, and that doesn't help. And really, the point of the podcast is to shine a light on all the hidden stuff so that we can own it and share what we've learned from it and then stop being so damn negative. But how about we add an addiction? Psychiatry.org defines addiction as a complex condition, a brain disease that is manifested by compulsive substance use despite harmful consequences. So yeah, that heaps on a lot of negativity. Learning to be kind to yourself while navigating addiction is a really hard life. However, as in all of these stories we've heard here on the podcast, I like to try to at least shift things a little bit to see the positive side, because you know, I'm such a ray of sunshine. But no, really, what I love hearing is what people have learned. Susanna is this wonderful woman, and I totally adore her laugh. I would never have known this was her story until she approached me to tell it. This is something that's hidden so well that we don't see it. It's not something that people are telling us. She can talk about all the ways that addiction has hurt her over the years and all the things it's taught her. But for her, and according to the Google, about 5% of the population also suffers with her. It's not something that's going to leave, but it can be handled. She still has it, and she always will. But she can work with it from day to day. And the key kindness. Kindness to herself, forgiveness, and patience. May we all learn from this story how to give ourselves a bit more of all of those things. So I'm here with Suzanne. Yes. And hi. Suzanne is going to talk about her struggle. And I'm going to let you your story. Okay, thank you. So one day in seventh grade, um, I had my friend and I had been playing and skateboards down the street and I ended up falling, getting hurt a little bit and my mom came, got me. We stopped off at a, gro at a um, grocery store type place, a little convenience store, and there was a magazine there. It was called Teen Magazine. A little like Seventeen Magazine, but it a little bit younger crowd maybe but I asked her if I could get that magazine and she said yes and as I looked at the models the young women around my age are probably a little older I realized I don't look like them I'm actually kind of bigger than they are and so I started to compare myself 
And I went to the, at one point I went to the doctor and I said, you know, am I overweight? And he weighed me and I weighed 117 or 113 maybe. And he's looked down his nose at his little chart and he's like, well, it looks like you should be, you're supposed to weigh 107. So, oh yeah, so that was the end. And how old were you at that time? I remember? believe I was 13, seventh grade, so about so 13. So at 13, you were supposed to weigh 107 and you were 113. 13, I believe, So you yeah. were uh, like literally five pounds over what some charts that I that should be. That is insane. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, I'm a bigger bone than the smaller bone. And this was probably in the mid-1970s when skinny, real skinny was in, not curves, which is totally not where I, what my body is like. And, but... So anyway, when I was in seventh grade, I started dieting, and I dieted on and off year after year and weighed about 175 when I actually graduated high school, but I'd probably lost at least a couple hundred pounds in the process. Lose five during the week, gain it back on the weekend, um, because I was depriving myself so crazily. I remember in 10th grade, or at least some point in high school, doing something called the Scarsdale Diet, and, you know, I'd track everything I was eating and eat the protein dry toast bread that they recommended and the grapefruit. And, you know, I'd chart my calories. And some days I only ate 400 calories and I was just so proud of myself. Oh, my God. Yeah. I did lose 11 pounds that week. But, um, and and then, it's so dangerous to lose 11 oh, pounds in a week. it is. I mean, we know yeah. this now. But I think also in the 70s, I don't think that we had the science behind a lot of the information that we have now. Exactly, and the things that it's doing to damage your metabolism and setting you up for that whole yo-yo, dieting, weight loss, fluctuation, and just, and you know, I was still, you know, maybe 16, but you know, still growing and developing, and God only knows what I, you know, did to my body, you know. And I do remember too, like in ninth grade, I believe it was, I had learned about um, how Ipecac syrup can make you vomit, and I knew I didn't do bin- I didn't do the bulimic thing and the the self-induced vomiting, but it sounded good to me. I was like, wow, that would be great if I could do that and get rid of those extra calories. And I just I just ate you know three cookies. Oh no! Um, so I got on my bike and I drove down to the gro- this little store and bought myself some Ipecac syrup. And my mom saw me do it, and I don't want this to be about like, oh, it's my mom's fault. I was a really strong-willed kid, and my mom is much more harmony keeper and mm-hmm. more, you know, give me the, the eye, like, I don't think that's such a great idea, or the disapproving eye is really what it was, mm-hmm. but she didn't stop me kind of a thing, and so I was kind of on my own trying to figure all this out. Um, so I went down to the store and bought it, and it worked, but it was so gross. <laughs> like just makes you feel so sick so I didn't do that again but during high school was a really hard time especially toward the last couple years I was depressed and anxious and part of that or I had some social anxiety Um, and I think a lot of that did stem from my my poor self-image related to my body and how I wasn't matching up to those models at all and even though maybe I was a size 12 um, I thought I was huge or just like if I wasn't a size two or four or six then you might as well not be anything because that's what was cute and sexy and you know all those things so I was constantly comparing myself and not measuring up and turning to food for solace and comfort and I remember sometimes you know getting some cookies at lunch at the high school but then taking them off to eat by myself you know so nobody would see me eating you know because that's what food people do they you know they'll eat and and they'll hide when they eat stuff you know just so people aren't noticing and that kind of thing 
so I went off to college, I guess, then, you know. So it was really rocky I, through high school. I was, yeah, depressed a lot, social anxiety, and um, just felt like an outsider, and food was my, my buddy, I guess, even though it was also the thing, it was that, you know, cycle of it made you feel better for the moment, but overall it was just so damaging. And then you feel like you have no self-control, and you feel ashamed, so much shame. And it's hard because I was thinking as I was driving down here too, like what are some things that happened that would have made, I mean, I know, well, so for breakfast, you know, as growing up, you know, we had chocolate Pop-Tarts with chocolate milk or Cap'n Crunch. And, you know, we didn't really necessarily have fruit and um, health, but my mom was never, you know, overweight or anything like that. She, and she always had her stash of sweets. and. Um, and then we'd be driving somewhere and she'd see somebody who was maybe a little overweight and jogging and she'd be like, yeah, they ought to be jogging. And I'm like, you know, she's sitting over there smoking all her cigarettes, you know. Right, right. But, um, the Pop-Tarts. Yeah, yeah. And I do think that the, the thing that, that you have to realize is your body is your body. Yeah. I mean, yes, we can all get overweight, but there are some people who, they can, they can eat whatever they want and their metabolism is just different. Yeah. And so there's this unfair judgment of like, Dude, I've watched you. I remember growing up with a girl who was like that, like just so skinny, and she could eat anything she wanted. Yes, and, and that I wasn't was a that dream girl. of me. Yeah, <laughs> right. I was five. That was tall. a dream of mine. Like if I could have one wish for one thing in the world, it would be that I could eat anything, and it wouldn't matter. And then, several years later, I realized what I really wish is that I love to eat healthy, and then it wouldn't matter. Yeah, you know. Yeah, my dad was. I mean, he was. My parents stayed married, but it wasn't a great situation, and. He wasn't really around. He wasn't the kind of dad that you got, you know, good feelings from to kind of, um, you know, enhance your self-image or feel that you're worthy, that, you know, you are lovable and that kind of thing. So that wasn't there. And um, so food was there for me. And college was okay, you know, off and on. You know, I mean, I definitely had a chocolate tooth. You know, I always had something going on for the sweets, but I think I was more active at that point walking across campus. And, and I was probably maybe 130, 135, maybe a size eight, but I still thought I was too big. Which you is know. so sad because that's, that's, yeah, because that's, weren't. no, and I would give anything to be that right now. Right. <laughs> no, and it was, and for my body again, like I'm a curvy person, you know, maybe I should have been born in the Raphael right. time. I was going to say, depending also when on your yeah, born, that exactly. would have been considered wonderful and um perfect yes exactly so um so a lot of body shame a lot of hiding you know big clothes but then um or feeling like since i wasn't fit and toned and muscular mm -hmm. being it didn't matter what size you were if you weren't like you know all buff i looked okay but i didn't feel okay i didn't feel okay in my head about it i still had a thing with food so you were this was when you were a size eight you were a hundred and 30-some pounds, yeah. and but you still felt like you needed to be smaller. Yes. So you were still obsessing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And food, yeah. And then, of course, it's gotten worse over the years, the obsession part of food. But um, And then there was a time, I remember in the beginning of first couple of years of college, um, I'd go to visit a friend of mine in high school, and we'd get together, and we'd you know, pig out on something, and then she'd go into the bathroom and induce vomiting. And I remember being like so jealous, like I was gonna have to like sit there with and gain all the calories, and she didn't have to, like I was stuck with them. Until finally I did figure out how to do that, and then so I was pretty excited that I knew how to do that, and I did it for a summer, and it worked, but it, I don't, luckily it's not something that I, I don't know, there was something about it that just didn't appeal to me, so luckily I didn't, you know, develop that side of the 
eating disorder that I have, you know, the, yeah. the, the bulimia thing. And then, you know, fast forward through my 20s, same kind of thing, not overly, you know, probably in pretty, you know, from the outward looking fine, but not mm -hmm. feeling good, mm -hmm. still thinking about food. And then I remember when I was around 30, I was dating somebody and I decided, you know, we'd been drinking a little bit. I'm like, I'm going to tell him, you know, that I love him. So I, I said, I think I love you. And he said, oh, when are you going to start going to the gym? <laughs> like, oh, oh, that's nice. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I weighed 130, 135 at that point. Yeah. But I wasn't fit and tight like my, you know, like I had the softness that a woman has, you know. That seems really crazy. Yeah. Do you feel like you found somebody? I mean, there's this theory that you you, you find, find what you believe what you believe kind of. you are. I think so because I stayed with him. Because that sounds so crazy to me, like 130 yeah, I know. ish pounds. You're that is not somebody that says, "Wow, you really need to go to the gym." Um, if you've been dating somebody, the fact that that was there, and also that you said you loved. I know and that that's was his the response. response. I mean, the cruelty there. I'm like, oh, run! run I know. I was like. There's so many things wrong with that. It's insane. I know. The thing is, he probably weighed about 130 because he was just so small. I probably weighed more than he did, but he was very fit. Fitness was a thing for him. And it's like, well, you knew this from the beginning, how right. I look. But then right. it just made everything uncomfortable because how can you feel really good about being naked with somebody who's you know is has those thoughts? Is, is that, and yeah, yeah. who's so, saying that? Yeah, so that was probably the beginning of the end of that. Right. And then in my maybe mid to late 30s, I weighed, at one point I got to about 180, and I was in such excruciating mental anguish over that. I was just like crying, like I was in such pain and agony, like that, I remember that, that sitting in that room and just being so like, what am I going to do about this? So I did go try the Overeaters Anonymous, and I went to some meetings for that for a while, got a sponsor, but it just wasn't really my, I don't know, there was just something about it that I couldn't embrace. Um, I don't know if it was the higher power thing. I had a hard time kind of connecting to what that would be and, um, or maybe being too intellectual about it or not, or having always felt an outsider to now be in this circle and having, and being all like, I don't know, it's just something about it didn't work for me. And I'd also been on some antidepressants off and on. And I felt, I feel like every time I went on antidepressants, it amped up my need for sugar and junk and I gained weight and then if I could go off them in my late I don't know around 40 or something you know now I'm around 150 I, I can only tell you like my age and my weight you know yeah. it's terrible how that my life is defined that way but around when I was around 45 I started like I went off the medication started exercising more eating well I worked with a I went to Mercy Hospital in Portland where they have a eating disorder program and I got evaluated and I was diagnosed with non uh, eating disorder, not otherwise specified. So it's not anorexia, it's not bulimia, but it's definitely a unhealthy relationship with food. Because I was doing basically the binging, but not the purging piece. Okay. Um, you know, I could eat a lot, um, and it was the kind of thing. Yeah, it got so it got worse and worse over the years. You know, it, I was manageable. If I had realized how everything was fine when I was younger, somebody had been able to tell me, you know, you're beautiful the way you are, right. blah, 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 you know, help me with all that. But I was just in my own head and all alone with it, really. Now, you said 
When you were in your 40s and you started this program at Mercy, it mm. sounds like you took a turn where you were eating healthy. Yeah. And exercising. Was there yeah. something that was a catalyst for that? Or was it like, okay, I'm going to try some new thing? Like, what made you hit that point? Um, Do you remember? Well, again, it was probably, well, I think it's a little bit, you know, what's probably common for a lot of us is we're like, we get all excited to exercise and mm -hmm. lose some weight. And, mm -hmm. and I think for me at this point, like, I don't diet. I know that any kind of, um, any kind of diet where we have to restrict what we eat, whether it's grains or bread or right. meat or whatever, that is just going to set me up for something that, you know, and I'm going to gain weight. And I think so every once in a while I'll just be in this place where it just happens that I'm ready to eat better and exercise. Okay. And the, um, I started with a counselor, a therapist at Mercy who specializes in eating disorders. At, at that same time? I think it was around that time. Around that time when you yeah. got the evaluation and all that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Was that and helpful? Yeah, it really was. I really liked her a lot. And um, she was, aside from the fact, you know, that she's understanding and helpful, but she gave me sort of tools like, you know, maybe my breakfast, I wasn't even eating a good breakfast. Maybe I'd rush, you know, leave the house, rush off, stop yep. at the convenience store, grab some junky thing. Yep. And she's like, just make, okay, what can you commit to this week? Can you commit to eating eating a healthy breakfast each morning? Doesn't matter what you do the rest of the day. Can you commit to this one thing? And then maybe we'd add something. And so I still think about that when I'm about to grab something mm -hmm. or I've been eating horribly. It's like, okay make a commitment to eat this healthy breakfast today, you know. And it is a little bit about, you know, that one day at a time, one step at a time, you know, kind of thing. And I'm still struggling. So today, you know, I am at my heaviest I've ever been. And so coming here to take pictures was <laughs> not, you know, something like why on earth would I want to, you know, document this point of my life. But Yeah, so talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> why, what made you decide to get brave I, enough to do that? Well, I, I know we had talked, yeah. we've talked on and off for a while and yes. you were like, I'd like to do some portraits because I, I run a business and then you're like, I'm not ready. Yeah. And yeah. I, which is totally, yeah. you know, I, I work with people all the time who, you know, it takes a while. They have their yeah. reasons why they're not ready. Well, part of it was that I, I need, I feel like I need to have pictures from my website and I'm not going down soon. <laughs> I mean, I'm getting, I'm at my heaviest and so, and I've been at this period now for a while after a bad, you know, a really painful period of time with a lot of losses about five, six years ago and things started snowballing and just eating and, um, so you um, went through a rough patch for yeah. five or six years ago and it's yeah. so, you've sort of been, Oh, so today, so why am I here for pictures? Yeah. Yeah. What so made you get to the point where you I, do it? I guess, um, it's a little bit of, this is who I am right now. You know, this is, I mean, I have at this point stayed away from some friends who haven't seen me in a while because I don't want them to see me looking like this. Or my cousin in New York, he keeps wanting me to come, or he used to want me to, he stopped asking now, but he wanted to have a family reunion. And I'm like, oh, no, not right now. Because I'm like, I got to lose 20 pounds. I got to lose 30 pounds. I got to lose 20 pounds, you know, or 40. And now it's 50 or 60. So that's always like there. I guess I finally have gotten to a point where, you know, I've talked to enough people or had enough therapy and had enough friends who also deal with this. And I, you know, it doesn't define me. It's not supposed to define me, even though I still feel like it does to a degree, but it shouldn't. You know, if, if I had a friend who I knew was this mentally anguished about how she felt about her food and her eating and her body, I would be so like 
sad for her and so compassionate. And, you know, I can think of a friend who struggles a bit. And she's a beautiful, intelligent, super funny, witty, lots of fun. I mean, she's an awesome person. And so she struggles a little bit with her weight and food. And, you know, there's no reason in the world why she shouldn't have a wonderful relationship and, and, ha- and be proud of who she is, you know. But I don't say that to myself. So I think I'm kind of finally getting to that place where I'm trying to embrace that. And because you know how horribly heartbreaking that is. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Just hearing you say that, I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, that's awful. But I, I feel like I understand it yeah. in a different way because I've done that with friends who have said back to me, do you realize how mm. unkind you're being to yourself? If yeah. this was me, if the roles were reversed, what would you say to me? Yeah. And it's so hard to do that for ourselves. It is. Whatever it is we're talking about, we it can is. be so hard on ourselves in I our know. own mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> stop. <laughs> right? no, stop. Like like, yeah. Same thing. Like, you deserve to feel the same way. Yeah. And I think part of it, too, may be because you know, you know, you try to have a you know, your outward appearances, you have it together, you know, I'm 53, I should know my shit, I, you know, I have mm-hmm. a business now after a good career teaching, and, but yet there's still this terrible thing that I, you know, this, that I never tell anybody about, I don't think anybody knows really, my struggle, my obsession with food, my, um, you know, I'll be driving home from work or wherever, and I'll be like, do I have any food, chocolate or junk at home, should I stop? Well, what if I get home and then I want something, but there's nothing there, and then I'm going to have to go out again, and it's winter. Who wants to do that? All right, yeah, I'm going to stop at the store real quick and grab yeah. something just so I'm not without something later if I want it, yeah. which I usually do. Yeah. It's just an obsession. And, um, or this teacher at school, she eats, she eats so healthy fruits all the time. And so in her trash, there's like orange peels and banana peels. And in mine, there's like M&M wrappers. And, you know, I ha- what food people do is they hide stuff too. Mm-hmm. So like I have it in my drawer and sneak it out. Mm-hmm. Or, or she'd say, oh, do you always have a cookie at, you know, lunchtime? And I feel like being like, don't look at my food. Like right. she doesn't know that it's an issue for me like it right. is, you know, or right. um, stop commenting on what I'm eating. Just like pretend you don't see anything. Yeah. So for you, not only did you come to have your portrait taken, but you came to share this story and you just admitted like, this isn't something you tell people. This no. isn't something they know or share, or you know, they no, can share with them. No, nobody knows the deepest part of it. Mm-hmm. What compelled you to want to share this? Well, I had seen, you know, your website, of course, and your Gardenia project, and I loved, I loved the, I think the vulnerability, the rawness, the, but the way that you're capturing it and the beauty of a woman and in our struggles and that sort of thing. And I felt like it would be something, it would maybe be freeing in a way, you know, to not be carrying this around, you know. And interestingly enough, I did share this guy that I knew in college, gone our separate ways. We had only been friends like a little tiny bit, but he'd gotten married. But long story short, he reached out to me a few years ago when he was, you know, they were getting divorced and everything. And we just reconnected. And so we were going to meet in Chicago because we, you know, we had great email chemistry, you know, great phone chemistry, all that great stuff. And I, and I decided I should tell him, you know, about some of the things that have been going on with my weight and, um, you know, that I weigh more than I did when he last knew me. And again, that shouldn't even matter. Like, why are you even bringing that up? But I did. And his, after like kind of spilling more to him than I had anybody, like telling him I had an eating disorder and I'd had a therapy for it. He's like, well, like, so how much weight have you gained? Oh my I was God. like, oh my 
God. So that's why I'm almost giving up on men. <laughs> I just don't right. get find the right ones. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I was just so insensitive. I that's, was like, what a that's jerk. That's so heartbreaking. Yeah. yeah. So I just, yeah, I felt like, partly for me, like I thought maybe it would be some kind of a release to just kind of finally say it and admit it and say, yep, for all my, you know, good and bad, this is, this is me. And I remember years ago feeling like, you know, oh, gosh, I don't want to like spend my whole life having this be something on my mind, having this be a focal point of my life. And maybe it will have to be. Maybe that's just one of the crosses, so to speak, that I have to bear. But I'm also hoping that by sharing the story, it will help whether it's moms and dads or, you know, just adults who have young women or girls, you know, in their families or lives in some way to just really be aware of the way we say things and talk to them. And I, I think I told you I had an aunt who was quite heavy. She was maybe at least 350 pounds, maybe more. And I said something to my sister when I was visiting my sister in, um, about, I'm gaining so much weight. She's like, well, just don't get like Aunt Mary. And I'm like, oh my God, I'd kill myself. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I just said that. And in front of her teenage girls too, who are both like a size two. I mean, they're, you know, even though they think they have fat thighs, but I was like, what a horrible thing to think and say. You know, that, I mean, like we talked about, I think a little bit, like just because however, however heavy you are, doesn't have anything to do with who you are as a person and your value. But mostly I was horrified too, to say something like that in front of impressionable teenagers, impressionable young women. Like it came out of your mouth. And yeah. You said you realized what I just say. Yeah, exactly. I can't believe it. Yeah. But I have to say, I think that that is the value our culture has put on it. Yeah. Has made us feel like, well, if you are that big, Nobody wants you around. Exactly. And you might as well not be here. I mean, it's yeah. very much the popular opinion. Which yes. is, I think, how we have gotten to the place that we have with so many people having eating disorders. I think it's super scary. It is What scary. we created. Yeah. And I don't mm. know if it's better or worse. In some ways, it's worse. The, you know, because mine started by comparing myself to the teen magazine, to the models in the teen magazine. And then it just snowballs from there. And now there's so much more media that's flashing in our faces all the time, whether it's Instagram or all the you know, TV channels and just constantly everywhere you look, you're seeing women with lots of makeup and all coiffed and beautiful and, well, you know, according to, the, you know, whatever. But now more women, more body types are maybe being celebrated. I mean, we're mm -hmm. seeing plus-size models, mm -hmm. even though, you know, there's still not like large, large. Was there a moment when you look back where you realized that was the moment that changed things? Was it when you went to buy that magazine? When you, cause that was sort of where you started. You said, mm. you know, I looked back and that's what started everything. I think so because at that age, you know, that's when you're starting to think about, you know, boys and makeup and how your clothes look and that kind of thing. And I didn't have anyone, I was the oldest of two and my mom was not into makeup and hair and, you know, pr you know, fashion or anything like that. So I was just trying to figure it out on my own and, and compare myself to the girls at school and just always falling short. And um, I feel like it was, but I do remember in elementary school, like sneaking the fudge town cookies out of the bread box, you know, and then at lunchtime, we always had the devil dog or the ring ding or something or the yodel and chocolate milk for lunch and you know so there was a lot of chocolate and candy in my early life which didn't help but again 60s 70s 
But see, I thought that everybody ate like that, you know, <laughs> sugar and candy all day right. long. Right. Um, and then I had a friend in high school, you know, I, I knew, like, we went up to her house and her mom offered us fruit for a snack. And I'm like, what? What? Oh, you poor thing. You have to have fruit, you know? So. Right. <laughs> it was uh, sort of the, the yeah. culture that you grew up in. Yeah. You know, fast food or <laughs> frozen food, you know, or vegetables out of a can. Mm-hmm. And that was what my mom knew. And, you know, I'm not going to, this is not a mom bashing thing at all. Yeah. So I grew up with a lot of sugar. And there are studies that say it is, it is addictive as cocaine or it oh, lights absolutely. up the brain, the yeah. receptors in your brain. And yeah. some people and mm-hmm. maybe some certain countries or somewhere um, actually believe it should be outlawed and highly taxed. But I, it is does feel like an addiction, and it's about if I want to eat something when I'm not really not hungry and whatnot. It's about I know it's about loneliness, and it's mm-hmm. about a little anxiety about something, and it's a way to dull the feelings. And so the only way through it is to go through it, you know, to make the best choices you can each part of the day not be get down on yourself not try to you know not be hard on yourself and and I did meet this woman online in a group that I'm in and she's very sweet she's a life coach and she was having us do these um, self-love exercises like look in your mirror and you know sing yourself a love song you know or or say to yourself you know every day like I love you and I try to li- I do it a little bit but not too much because again I guess I just don't go for those things but mm-hmm. but I'm trying to remember that little girl or that young teen or that Mm -hmm. poor lost depressed high school girl and you know try to be gentle with her yeah yeah and I don't know like growing up you know my mom I know when I was about four or five I don't she told me later I don't remember it but she tried to commit suicide so she was in the Mm -hmm. hospital for a week and my dad was an alcoholic a functioning high functioning as far as work but you know not there a lot on the weekends because he'd be gone partying with his friends and and my mom was depressed and you know, she's, do you feel like these are pieces of your puzzle? I do, yeah. I think because they, because I'm also, I mean, kids know too that things are going on. Mm-hmm. They might not know what it is, but I knew that my mom was sad. And, you know, I saw her kiss him one day after he got home from a trip, a sailing trip. And I was like, oh my God, she kissed him. Because, like, there's just no affection, mm-hmm. there was no love, there was no respect between them. There was no, and I was always an introverted kind of kid anyway, and in my head a lot, thinking about things. And yes, I think between you know having a mom who was really sad, and she was, I mean, it was the 60s, she was feeling stuck. You know, like she wanted to leave my, my dad, but what was she going to do to right. raise us? And he's like, if you leave us, you'll never see me again, you know. Right. She was stuck and depressed, and dad was a drinker, and, and you know, kind of that... Um, the male female role is very traditional yep. and kind of insulting at times yeah but, you know so yeah just and but yeah it was also the feminist time you know and so i was like this is wrong and i'd stand up for her you sure know, sure to fight her battles on right. her behalf with him and that just never ended well <laughs> so there's a lot of layers there yeah. i think that sounds like contributed to the path that you went down yeah so food just became i think the way to kind of feel better and mm-hmm. not deal with not because I didn't know how to deal with some of those things that were happening to me when I was little and sugar specifically makes you feel great yeah it's so funny my daughter and I were talking about sugar and she was talking about chocolate milk and how when she used to drink it she's like I don't drink it anymore it gives me a bellyache but when I drank it she's like it was great because we used to have recess right after lunch and so I would have so much energy from the sugar like she was aware of it she knew that and I was like good for you for knowing yeah yeah, it makes you 
feel good. It gives you energy. Well, the thing is, I don't even notice that. I mean, I it's not it's not like I eat something. And I'm like, woo, you know, anything right. like that. And so actually, can kind of work the work the opposite too. Or you, you just, crash. Yeah, absolutely. Or you just kind of numbing out to TV and your bowl of ice right. cream or something. But yeah, I become so dulled to it that I don't even wouldn't mm-hmm. be able to tell you if it made me feel different because I don't know any different but I do know when I'm not on so much sugar and junk food that I'm so much more energetic right just happier and so it's like it just would totally make sense for you to just give up eating that way or eat or obsessing about food Mm -hmm. and but it's just not that easy well that was I was gonna say to go along with that so you've learned I always ask people what do you learn from this yeah you know and you've sort of touched on that all along Mm -hmm. and part of what you just said is like you may have learned that you know what works and what doesn't, but it's not always. It's not as simple as just doing it. Mm-hmm. And I remember I went to the doctor a number in my 40s. I guess maybe I had a little endometriosis or something. And so he thought he wanted to prescribe birth control pills. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, don't those make you gain weight? <laughs> and he's like, of course, you know. Right. And he's like, well, just go on a diet. I'm like, oh, gee, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> it's like, no, like okay, yeah, that will be. I'm sure he had more important things on his mind than me gaining five pounds, you know, especially right. when I was not that big at the time. But right. um, it isn't that. Simple, so it's though. not that simple, you yeah. know. It's never that simple. Yeah, and I used to say, you know, my mom smoked and then my dad drank, and so I started smoking when I was in high school and I quit mm-hmm. um, long, long time ago, like you know, after college. You know, and I drank quite a bit during college, the drinking age was 18, mm-hmm. and I thought, gosh, I could totally easily become an alcoholic, or wow, I'm surprised I could, but I didn't, and I hardly ever drink, and I don't smoke, I would quit that pretty easily, and I'm like, wow, it's a good thing I don't have an addictive personality. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, are you kidding me? <laughs> it's called food addiction. <laughs> it's so interesting, though, because you, you did, you told yourself, like, oh, thank goodness I'm not doing this or this. Yeah. Yeah. But addiction is, it's a strong thing. It runs it in my is, family. Does I it? totally mm-hmm. get it. Yeah. It's, it's really there. hard. Because mm-hmm. you have to put off, because you have to feel yucky for a while while you're trying to go through it to get to the other side. Yeah. And that's, you know, a long side. I did quit sugar for 10 days recently, and it was super easy, but then bam, right you go back on. to the, yeah. yeah. If you were going to give someone else advice who is in your situation, what would you say to them? Basically around my age range, too, do you mean? or just Sure. Okay. Well, because if I'm thinking, I wish, uh, not that it would really matter, because when we're young, we, we have to go through our own lessons, you know? Right. And if somebody had told me when I was 20, you know, if you don't lick this now, you're going to be in a lifetime of hell trying to deal with this. I, it wouldn't have mattered probably to me, but I would like, I wish I could help, you know, younger women to realize, get help now. Like, yeah. don't, you know, don't be ashamed. I mean, it's easy to be ashamed. Every, most people with addictions feel ashamed, mm-hmm. but, but to, t- to be gentle with yourself, to love as hard as it may be, try really hard to love yourself, to cherish yourself, to be happy with it like find a way to be happy within yourself that doesn't necessarily depend on anybody else or what other people think of you um don't do diets like just forget them (laughs) like any of those you know i have a friend who will say i'm gonna do the juice fast this time and i want to say she'll figure it out on her own she's about 10 years she has about 10 years to go before she gets to my age and (laughs) then she'll realize these diets just don't work Mm -hmm. Dieting does not work. It just sets you up for failure. Anytime 
for most people some people will do okay with it i mean i've tried weight watchers and you know that works okay but mm-hmm. but it doesn't really work i guess for the true food addict or eating disordered person it's definitely about not depriving yourself of certain things of doing the best that you can day to day trying to incorporate some healthy foods but not berate yourself you know if you have a a lot to eat (laughs) but that's again easier to say than to do Mm -hmm. i think probably reaching out to somebody would be helpful to get that love and support that i don't really have i mean i could tell my sister and she'd be supportive but you know, I've never been, I was engaged once, but I've never been married. I've not had good re- luck with men, <laughs> as you can imagine. So, um, but I wish I had, I guess, a partner or somebody, or even maybe a really, really, well, I have close friends, but they don't know about this part of me, this depth to this depth. Mm-hmm. But maybe if I did have someone that I could really reach out to and really support me through it. So if they had anybody, you know, to find somebody to reach out to. Yeah, I think that's an important piece for pretty much every story that I hear Mm. when I sit and talk to women the bottom line is don't be alone with whatever you're going through don't do it alone we are not wired nor meant to be going solo in pretty much anything we you know we're Mm. creatures that that love we are we are meant to be in groups and to be together yes and to yeah to get support and have someone wrap their arms around and say I love you it's okay and you know, I didn't have that growing up, my, like with my dad not being very affectionate, my mom, you know, depressed, and and so I still don't have that. You know, I still have always been kind of a single person with my small group of friends, but it's private, and yeah. Do you think that maybe this podcast will shift things for you? Because you've just sort of outed yourself. I know. <laughs> addiction and um yeah I have an eating disorder only it, the thing with that too is like you don't even get to like have the real eating disorder it's like not anorexia or bulimia so it's not almost like really valid oh my god so you're gonna do that thing to yourself yeah. on top of it yeah that it's not I don't even have the best one I don't I don't have a real one I don't have this is so what we do to ourselves I can't believe you just said that it's great it's, it's great only in the way that like so many people do it I remember yeah. when I talked to um one of the women about suicide she's like I couldn't even do that right I was like oh my god that's a horrible thing to say and we got laughing about it after we turned off the microphone because we were like how crazy can we be that we're judging this I mean you're judging like well I'm not really an anorexic so so it doesn't really count yeah exactly oh my god this is what we do to ourselves yeah if we could just please dig ourselves out of that hole that would be great I know right (laughs) baby steps yeah exactly yeah so I'm hoping yeah I'm kind of curious to see you know will will I will I be willing to actually share the podcast with friends or family will I make it known part of me wants to make it known and see what What unfolds and the other part of me is scared to death to do that sure absolutely so yeah well I love that you were brave enough to come talk about it. Well, I think you. that this is something, again, along with all the other stuff, I always say, all the things that no one wants to talk about at the dinner table. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Sign me up. Yeah. I think that it's those things that we hide that hold us back that keep yeah. us prisoner. It's really, I recommend it highly. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you Thanks. so much for being so brave. Thank you, Jen. In the end, there's no magic pill. Nothing can make us perfect. But what we do have is the ability to accept ourselves for who we are. Ugly imperfections, addictions, mistakes. I mean, you know, those epic ones. All of it. Honestly, there is such power and grace in being able to do this. 
because we are our biggest critics. And if we can make peace with ourselves, caveat while still working to be a better human, man, what a great world that would be to live in. I mean, I want to live there where my mind says, hey girl, you are all right. Let's lean into that, okay? Seriously, when you're done listening to this, take just a moment and tell yourself you're not alone, you're not crazy, and you're pretty awesome. I dare you. Okay, thank you to Keith Kenneth for the theme music and all of you for listening. I have some amazing stories that I'm recording right now that I can't wait to share because there is always another story to tell. Real life, you cannot make this stuff up. (laughs) I mean, you won't believe it. Okay, I will see you all soon. 